0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Jennifer Waits.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Breesmondel.
2: Hi, I'm Matthew Lassar.
1: And I'm Eric Klein. What a pleasure. We're all here on the radio together.
0: All together again. On today's show, we're going to be talking about an exciting opportunity for new non commercial FM radio licenses in the United States. Another Low Power FM licensing window is opening soon in just a few months, beginning on November 1st, 2023. Who is eligible to apply for these licenses and why should they and what help is available? Our guest Sharon Scott joins us on Radio Survivor to talk us through all things Low Power FM. Scott is the co-founder and general manager of Low Power FM radio station WXOXLP in Louisville, Kentucky, also known as Art FM. And she's the author of Low Power FM for Dummies, which is imminently going to be released. Thank you so much, Sharon, for joining us today on Radio Survivor.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And I also want to thank all of my Radio Survivor colleagues for joining on this episode. It's been a while since all four of us have been together on the show. And I think it's really appropriate that we've come together to talk about Low Power FM and this new licensing window. We did talk about it on... Our latest, one of our latest podcasts, number 331. But Radio Survivor listeners will recall that we have been reporting on non-commercial radio and low-power FM for many years. In particular, we provided extensive coverage of the prior LPFM licensing window that opened in 2013. So here we are again, a decade later, with another chance for nonprofit groups to get on the airwaves. So Sharon, thanks so much for coming. You're like the perfect reason to... For us to get together and talk about this, I have to total give full- honor.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, just want to. I just want to jump in and say I love to, you know, be invited to be on Radio Survivor. It's a wonderful podcast. You know, you all are really covering a subject that doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's, um, you know, just a joy to be here with all of you. So, so thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thanks, Sharon. And I have to give full disclosure too that um, a few of my photos are going to appear in Low Power FM for Dummies. So I've had a little bit of a preview of your process along the way. But but I realized despite all that kind of insider information, I really actually don't know how the book came to be. So why are we here? You know?
3: (laughs) Well the 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 photos are beautiful and who else would I turn to? But spinning indie for station tours and the Radio Survivor station tours are, you know, always one of my favorite things to look at on the internet. I'm just totally entranced. Of course I'm a radio nerd, but I just love to see all your different station tours. So thank you so much for, for those. And we were able to draw on some of those and use them in the book, and I'm was super happy to include those and my you know my only only disappointment I haven't actually seen the book yet, which is you you all might have even seen more of it than I have at this point um because we've just the digital release just happened um like when the past twenty four hours, I think and um somehow we managed to the editor managed to get you all a sneak peek at that so you all have seen that I haven't even had a chance to sit down with it yet so I'm excited to see how all the pictures fit in there and that sort of thing um so um so so just very exciting and I was just so happy to include your photographs but I only my only regret is I couldn't include more I wanted to just have the whole thing littered with photographs of amazing radio stations you know but uh alas it's more of a a how-to book they explained to me uh, rather than an art book. So so here we are, <laughs> how to make an LPFM radio station.
0: But you did get some cool photos in there, you know, not yeah. just photos that I took, but. Um, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. We got if... one from uh, Pete Treatish, sort of the, the, you know, the godfather of the LPFM movement and, and, and lots of other great radio stations. So we did get to include some good stuff, that's for sure.
0: So how, what inspired you to write LPFM for Dummies? I know that you are obviously an advocate for LPFM, but how did this come to be?
3: Well, you know, it's it's I've definitely something I've always wanted to do because I think that there really isn't a good resource for folks building radio stations right now. Um, the closest thing everyone turns to is um, Lorenzo Malam's sex and broadcasting you know and that's kind of like people are using that as the the bible for building a community radio station which is wonderful and i'm going to confess i I did read that you know cover to cover as we were building our radio station but that was written in the 1970s you know it's a little bit you know things have changed a little bit um now radio radio remains constant and the technology of radio you know is is pretty much the same. And the concept of running a community radio station is very similar, you know, organizing people, getting programming, obeying FCC laws, you know, that stuff is very much the same, but now we've got of course internet broadcasting and now you're, you know, able to connect with the whole world through your radio station, which is very different. Um So there just needed to be an update. There needed to be a new, how do I, you know, how do I run my radio station? How how do I build a radio station? Because for us, we, just, you know, really, we're just out here kind of building it as we went and making it up as we went along. And I think a lot of the other LPFM stations were like that. So this book was really just, okay, let's just put it all down on paper. It may not be perfect, but at least it'll be, you know, some kind of starting place for people who want to start, you know, their own radio stations, and a little bit of guidelines to help them along the way.
0: So and you're talking about your radio station. So maybe like, before we get into the meat of the book, talk about Art FM, and, you know, when you started your radio station, just like a quick, mm-hmm. quick,
3: sure. okay. quick backstory. <laughs> oh boy, Jennifer, you know, that's not a quick I backstory. I know it's not. <laughs> um, okay. I'll do my best. So I was involved with college radio uh, when I was in college, uh, came, held a variety of roles at WRVU in at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. That station, of course, was one of the ones that was taken over Um, there was kind of this college radio crisis that went on Um, rice university station got taken over the university of san francisco radio station and a lot of the alumni got re-involved with their alma mater stations and that's what drew me back into radio after years of not doing radio or wanting to do radio but not finding any outlet for the sort of radio i wanted to do Um, you know, you, when you're in college radio, it's so fun. You get to play whatever you want to play and say, whatever you want to say. And then you think, Oh, you know, I want to make a career of this. And then it's like, okay, you have to draw from this playlist and play these songs and make these announcements, you know, and my experience was, you know, you had would have very little freedom and that was what I liked about doing radio. So I kind of gave up on radio for a little while, got re when we, we were fighting to save the WRVU frequency Um and went to the Grassroots Radio Conference in Kansas City. Um, And there I met some of the radio greats like Jim Ellinger, Ursula Rudenberg, um, Michelle Bradley. They're just folks who knew a heck of a lot about radio. And I can just remember I was trying to rally them to help us save, you know, WRVU. How are we going to save this radio station? And I just remember Jim Ellinger just looking at me of Austin Airwaves. And he just looked at me and just says, that station's already gone, you know. <laughs> May as well give it up. And, and he goes, but there's this new LPFM thing happening. Why not just just get a new station? And so I didn't at that time I didn't know anything about the LPFM station, but the Prometheus radio project was there. Um and they were giving demonstrations about the the new LPFM window that was coming up. And it was sort of the, you know, we still wanted to save our college frequency, obviously, but we had started a nonprofit to try to save that station. And we realized that if we were unsuccessful in our fight, that we could use that nonprofit to apply for an LPFM. So that became sort of plan B, um, which we ended up resorting to. And as I was driving back and forth from Louisville, where I lived in Nashville, where WRVU was, I started thinking, well, why don't, why not do a radio station in Louisville too? This LPFM thing is happening all over the country. So came back to Louisville, started talking to friends and people involved in the art community and really started talking to them about an arts focused radio station because um, I just saw very little opportunity for artists to get on the airwaves and experiment with radio and really think about what is this medium of radio? What can we do with it? What does it mean to communicate with so many people at once, you know, and what can radio be as its own medium besides a medium that conveys other medium, you know, like music and news and that sort of thing. So, that was really the dream. And I started talking to people, would you be interested in a, a radio station like that? Would you be interested in a station that is bringing artists in to talk about what they're doing, bringing artists in to experiment with the radio waves. And overwhelmingly, you know, everybody was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds great. And we got a lot of sort of immediate support. And then uh, this guy named Chris Kimmel, we were meeting with him, he ran an event called Idea Festival, which was basically like, TED Talks here in Louisville. And he brought in amazing speakers from all over the world. And we were just talking to him, like, you know, would you be interested in this radio station? And at that time, the LPFM window was about two years off. And he says, yeah, that sounds great. Very interested. How about launching it as an internet radio station at Idea Festival? And we said, sure, let's do it. Yeah. And we agreed and we shook hands and everything else. And then I realized, like, I didn't know what Idea Festival was. And I went home and looked on the internet and sure enough, Ida Festival was six weeks away. And um, thank God the grassroots radio conference was four weeks away. So um, I went to the grassroots radio conference uh, connected with Norm Stockwell, WORT there, you know, great community radio engineer. And he basically gave us a list of equipment that we needed to get. And um, we did, <laughs> and we brought People in from the community to to start training on it in our living room, and somehow we managed, you know, to pull off this brand new radio station in about six weeks' time. And then we were just couch surfing. We were doing events, um, and we did a few different events around town. And we were live broadcasting from different musical performances and art openings. Um, and then finally, we were donated our own space in April um of 2013 and that's when we launched our continuous online stream so we have been online broadcasting um for just we we just turned 11 years old a couple days ago so that's how we started and then we launched WXOX on Valentine's Day 2016. Um, it's amazing
0: so- as you're I mean there's so much more to the story but it's amazing as you're telling this and talking about all the support that you got from people in the community radio people in the community radio, um, landscape. I was going to say community radio community. It's like community squared
1: diaspora.
0: (laughs) Um, and it, it feels like this, writing this book is such a love letter to that and, and paying forward all the support you had received and kind of packaging it up for other people who might be inspired the same way that you were. Um, you know, just as you're talking, that's occurring to me that, how beautiful that that is, that, um here we are more than a decade after these ideas were kind of germinating for you. Yeah.
3: Well, it's um, you know, community radio means more than just your immediate community. There's this larger community radio world, which we're all connected in, and that's why it's so great to see your faces. You know, Paul, I remember meeting you way back at one of the early, you know, GRCs in Champaign. Urbana, Urbana, Jennifer, Illinois. Yeah, yeah Jennifer and I met at the, uh, the CMJ when that used to happen up in New York City so it's just there's a there's a when you think community radio you think your immediate community but there is a much larger larger community radio world and I was really, you know I couldn't I wouldn't have known about this opportunity if it weren't for them I could have couldn't have known how to do half the stuff we we do without having a network of people to turn to and ask for their advice. And so obviously if I was going to write a book about community radio, I had to involve the community in the writing of the book. And so I was really glad, you know, to be able to include um, photographs from some of the, some of my idols in community radio, as well as um, there's a few essays throughout the book. And the final chapter is 10 essays um, from community radio station founders and just having those different voices in there was really important to me. I don't think you, you just couldn't write a book like this
4: alone. It's a real accomplishment, Sharon, uh, having just read the book. Um, it's very comprehensive. And I think your tone is very open. And and and, and it matches, I think, low power FM. And, and as an iteration away or, or, or advanced from, you know, the Lorenzo Milan book, right, uh, Sex and Broadcasting, um you know, which is a bit more of a polemic in some ways, although you don't shy away from the advocacy uh, for l p f m and community radio and the freedoms that it allows and and the action that it has um but it is very necessary and and what's to me the the accomplish part of the accomplishment is that You have all these people who have been doing these things. You've just talked about this now. All of the various folks who who are engaged in this activism and building stations, advocating for the building of stations, providing the advice, providing the necessary, uh, whether it's legal, technical, et cetera. And when you're so engaged in this, it's so hard to write it down. Yes. It's so hard to document it.
3: Oh my gosh! Yes, and
4: to right, and so mm-hmm. it's limiting in that way. And it's wonderful that there have been the uh, groups like the Grassroots Radio Conference, right, that could come together and it'd be an opportunity for people to meet. Mm-hmm. But but often, if you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. and and I think putting this down in a book, and, and especially a book that is of the type that could be booked, that could be uh, in and in, in any book in any bookstore, online bookstore, or mm-hmm. or whatever, really broadens, I think, the opportunity for yeah. so many different organizations, communities, to even consider uh, low power FM radio because it gives them that that route in that might not. They, might, they yeah. just might never see that on ramp. They just may they may just drive past that 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 exit and never
1: see it. Yeah, we're we're talking on Radio Survivor today about Sharon Scott's new book, Low Power FM for Dummies.
3: Yes, we are, and it's very exciting. Um, Paul, thank you for saying that because that's kind of the, you know, that's the goal. If there was any mission behind this book, it is to let people know that you can do it. You can create your own radio station. Whoever you are that's listening right now you can do this. I I did it. I didn't have a, you know, I don't have a degree in broadcasting or anything like that. I just, I love it. I love to be on radio. I'm interested in it. And I had a passion for it. So if you're out there and you have a passion for radio and you think, wow, I'd really like to make a radio station. This is your opportunity to do it. There may not actually, we don't know if there'll ever be another opportunity for community radio community groups to get on the FM dial, um, besides this upcoming window. Maybe, but this is the first one in 10 years, you know. So there are options online and and that's get, you know, a lot of people are listening online and that sort of thing. But if you want to be on the FM dial, now is the time. And the purpose of this book is to say, do it. Just jump in there and do it. Apply now. You have three years actually to build your station. So, you know, you don't have you, that's plenty of time to learn. <laughs> and and then this book is there to help you out. So, and and also the community that, that's out there. There's a lot of people really right now, they're rallying, they're just chomping at the bit to find more people that want to start radio stations so they can help them do it because they recognize what an important opportunity this is right now.
0: And the book, so the launch date, I know you're trying to get it to launch as yeah quickly as possible because this window is really coming up quickly. Um, yes. So the grassroots radio conference—that's sort of playing a role in the launch. Can you talk a bit mm-hmm. about that? Yeah,
3: yeah, and I don't—I don't know if I ever even answered your original question, which was that the the book came about because the Dummies group approached me. Um, Micah Carroll is one of the editors there, and she. She recognized the need for this book. She's a former college radio person herself and she's been had her eye on LPFM. So shout out to Michael Micah for recognizing the need uh, for this book. And, um, you know, when when they approached me about it, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I don't know because Paul, like you said, it is so difficult for radio people to stop for a moment. It's, you know, we're 24 seven and there's always something going berserk, you know, whether it's electronics or your volunteers or whatever it is. So there is very little time at the end of the day to stop and sit and write it down. So I think that's why there has been so little written about radio because radio people are just out there doing it all the time. Um, so when she asked me to do this, I just thought, Oh my gosh, there's, you know, this, there's no way I can do this, but it's, it, It just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. And what was too good about it was being able to get this into the public eye because a Wiley press, low power FM, any low for dummies, anything, you know, they get it on the bookshelves across the country. They get it out there on all the digital platforms. And to me, the biggest thing that we need to do right now is let people know about this opportunity. And they seemed like a great group to work with, to let people know about this opportunity. So, um. So I went ahead and I I dove in. I said, okay, you know what the heck, I'll try it. You know, if it doesn't work out, you know what, you know, we'll you know we'll just deal with that. But I figured I'd try, see what happens. And um, it was an intense, really intense process. So yeah. the entire book was written in six months from contract to cover.
1: It's really uh, impressive that it was yeah. on the radar of the publishers of the four dummies brand. Cause this is a very, they must, they must have their uh, ears to the ground for a lot of niche.
3: Right. Yeah. I think they want to, they want to cover every possible subject so that they're on the mis- mission to make a four dummies for everything, I think. Um, but I think it was really cool and it's, it's different for them because you know, the low power FM movement is kind of this like renegade movement, you know, and and the book includes a lot of that. Um, so which is very different from the high profile, you know, highly commercial business that they're in. Um, But, you know, but they were willing to take a chance. They were very open. You know, they were, they, they really allowed me a lot of creative freedom within they have a, you know, they have a format of what the dummies books are and they have funny little titles for each section, which, you know, they made up most of those things. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff, but so there were different, you know, things that they did with the book that might not have been the way I did my own book, which hopefully I'll have the opportunity to do in the future that can include a little more, a little more dirt, a little more, you know, fun radio stories. Um, but this one's very, you know, this one's, this one's the facts. This is how to get it done. There an are some book. books. Gonna, yeah, the next one's my, an art my book. My radio art book. Exactly. Um, but they were great to work with. They gave me a lot of freedom, but it was just a very very intense process to churn that out in that amount of time plus meanwhile you know running a low power fm radio station with about 120 volunteers and keeping that thing uh running smoothly was was not easy it really it was intense and and shout out to my family Sean and Max were like you know amazing to help to help me through that but um but it's done now and that feels great and i've been like re you know reenjoying everything that i missed out on for the past 6 months Um, but anyway, Jennifer, did I, I don't know, did I answer a question or do I go in totally different directions? No, I love
0: it. I love everything you're saying. And, um, I mean, there, there there's so many things that we want to talk about. I'm, I'm thinking about the audience, like the audience for the book, obviously you want to inspire people to apply for low power FM licenses, but Mm -hmm. reading it, I was also struck by the fact that you have so many practical tips in there for anybody who's part of radio just Mm -hmm. about you know the ins and outs of acquiring music and engineering and and then um examples of you know inspiring words from different radio leaders so yeah. how do you envision the audience for well
3: low power they really FM, so wanted they really wanted it to be low power fm specific cuz there has not you know as far as we know there has not been a book that's just about lpfm and how to do that um so they wanted to be the ones to do that book um they wanted me to do it and and um I I really kind of pushed them to make it be a more open because I think that the, the content of the book besides the first like maybe I think it's like chapters two and three are very LPFM specific how to apply the FCC laws with that But the rest of the book can really apply to anyone in community or college radio, whether you're a manager, an engineer, or a DJ, or even just a listener and want to understand how it all works. I I think it really has a very broad audience like that. And it also could apply to anyone with an online radio station, um, which, of course, we're seeing more and more and more of those. So um, I do think that the title itself is a little bit limiting, um, but I think the content is really broad. And open you know to a, to a lot of people that just even have an interest in radio at all and how you know what's going because there's a lot of free speech issues and you know that we're talking about with lpfm and stuff like that so um so yeah i think i you know i'm kind of trying to like change the narrative a little bit on the dummies book maybe it's not just an instructional book but it's actually you know kind of an interesting you know narrative as well um so we'll, we'll see, but I will let the, the the people be the judge of that. But but thank you for noticing that, because I do think it has a much broader audience than just the LPFM world.
4: How did you chart out the contents? Like, you know, because of the fact that it's, you know, there you do have the sections, as you, as you sort of laid out, that are about mm-hmm. building a station, but it, a lot of it is really about how to maintain a station. Yeah. And, and, or, or, you know, or rebuild a station, if you will, in, in many cases. Uh, how did you come up with, with the with with the full set of, of chapters and, and topics
3: um a lot of it is actually based on the artfm station manual so we have a manual that our djs are required to read and know uh, when they come on board and a lot of that is drawn from college radio manuals um when i was involved with trying to save wrvu i collected a whole bunch of those and pulled some of the greatest moments out of that and developed a manual for Art FM, and we've been using that and developing that for a number of years and that was really the jumping off point for this i thought okay you know let's start here and then added things like how to you know the early stages how to apply and that kind of stuff and then added some some antidotes and some history and so really i mean the core of this book truly is the Art. FM station manual that's how it'll get started okay.
4: you know because i think that you know if it were only about how to apply for a station, that's a short shelf life. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so clearly having this other advice um, is, is useful. And it is, you know, from my experience in community radio for the last too many years, uh, you know, you cover so many of those questions that come up perpetually. And they come up perpetually not just from people who are building a station or getting new, new to a station, but who, who maybe have, have been in, 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 you know, come to a station that's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look to sort of – there's so few guides to go on and you can go to – there's like the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, which which does a lot to help. I know they keep their own sort of uh, database of different station manuals and things like this. But if you sort of were to turn back to a section broadcasting, frankly, it's – a lot of it's – I mean it's outdated. It's dated in ways that maybe – are not up to our current standards, if you will, mm-hmm. as a society and yeah. culture, right. in certain ways, and might might actually put some people off, right? Uh, be- because it's written from a, a, a from a simply just a different time that's fifty some years ago. Right. Um, so I think that's that's interesting, and I'm curious. You know, you know, you say you sort of based this on the 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 W-X-O-X, uh, the rfm uh, kind of station manual, but I'm um, uh, did you did you get some feedback from other folks in in community radio and lpfms on on some of on some of the advice that you're giving yeah you know, just because yeah. sometimes things don't always generalize well from one station to another
3: yeah well I mean definitely on the technical part of it um, so Todd Yerick of Common Frequency was the the guidance for the LPFM FCC stuff, which is complicated. And I was like, had to get that right. So, um, he came aboard to review all that information and make sure we were spot on with all that. Um, David, David Klon of broadcast tool and die also was the technical reviewer of the entire book. Um, so he was reviewing that as well. Um, As far as getting input from other radio stations and how does this translate to your station, to be honest, Paul, the timeline was so intense on this that I just had to like plow through it and push through it. (laughs) And I say at the beginning of the book, like, this is the way we do it. This works for us. I hope it can if anything, just inspire ideas and other people can say, well, that's okay, but I'd rather do it this way. And then they go in their own direction. Like was totally great. I want you to do that. Um, but in this book, I really just give like, this worked for us. It's working for us. Um, if there were, you know, there are definitely, you know, moments where you'll, you'll see I draw on things from other stations. And there were times I turned to the LPFM solidarity Facebook page when, you know, when I had some questions or how do you all handle this type of situation? So a lot of people would chime in there And then at the end of the book um, and scattered throughout the book and at the end of the book are a few different essays from different radio station managers that kind of talk about different ways that they've approached some of the topics. Mm -hmm. So. um. You also have a
0: directory. I'm sorry. You also have a directory in the end of LPFM stations. And
3: I do. And that feels like
0: another thing that people are always asking for lists of college radio LPFM. Um, So that's a nice, way to kind of um i don't know pinpoint this point in time who the lpfm Mm -hmm. stations are
3: yeah how many
0: many were there in the book
3: um i'm not sure how many you know so there's there's around 2,000 on the air right now but um you know there's all kinds of different lpfm stations many of those you know many of those are christian stations which are different than community radio stations because they're you know, they're focused on a certain type of community. When we say community stations, I think on Radio Survivor, you all agree. We, we refer to stations that involve everyone within their community and try to involve more diversity and diverse voices and that sort of thing. So, so talking about those kind of community radio stations, um, you know, honestly, I, I, I couldn't tell you how many are in the book, <laughs> but I'm glad to include them in the book. The thing, um, is fun about that to me is that you can use that directory and if you're traveling or whatever then you can you know when you're in another town you can use that look up see if there's an lpfm there and tune them in a lot of times they're really friendly about tours like i was just in lexington um, and found a community radio station there and i was just peeking in the window and they're like come on in take a tour so you can use the the radio station maybe go get a peek at their at their studios. If you're in a different city, if you're really interested in radio, definitely would recommend if you can give them a heads up, give them an email, you know, if you just really want to, Jennifer is the pro at that. Um, you, can and wave, I'm sure,
1: you can wave yeah. your copy of low power FM for dummies
3: <laughs> you in the go. window. You can say,
1: Look, it's my passport.
3: Then you might. Yeah. I don't know. You'll have, we'll have to see how, it, how the critical <laughs> uh, response is. You might get, you might get in trouble too. Tomatoes thrown at your face or something.
1: But, uh... that it wouldn't be community radio <laughs> if you didn't get in a little bit of trouble.
3: There you go. Community That's radio right. people
1: about the, the, your, your contribution to the totally. overall knowledge of community radio.
3: That's true. That's true. And that is one thing I'm a little like nervous about, you know, because I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little bit of a newbie to this whole world. Um, You know, I've been involved for about a decade now, but, but some of these folks have been, you know, doing community radio since the sixties and they really know how it's done. So, so hopefully, uh, hopefully i'll get everybody's stamp right. of right but, but
1: low power fm is brand new it's that's right new, it's the baby of community it's radio. the
3: new way yeah. i think that
4: that your perspective because you've i've known you for, for quite a, a bit of that time and the fact that you've that you dived in so wholeheartedly in
1: mm-hmm. that
4: time i think i think you are you qualify as an expert and i think it's important actually for um a book on low power fm to be written by somebody whose experience is principally in low power okay. fm. Right. Because to me one of the great opportunities of low power fm was in some ways and is in some ways to be free from some of the orthodoxy of community radio as it as it built as it as it as it became to be by the time we got to the end of the 20 20th century because part of that orthodoxy was built of scarcity was built of how hard it was to get a radio license, especially a non-commercial one and in so many places, and to build and maintain a station. And the fact that for most cities or metropolitan areas, they were lucky to have one community right. radio Scarcity,
1: Scarcity of the airwaves in general, and then gatekeepers at specific community radio stations yeah who can get on and what they can do with it.
4: Exactly. And, and then at, Low
1: Power that, FM opens that all up. It We're explodes that, right? And it gives
4: you that opportunity, and and I think you talk about it specifically in a book about to be more experimental and to think. And, and it's embedded, of course, in the name of of your radio station to think about art and community uh, together. You know, but I, I wanted to, you know, sort of back up to the fact that you know, as you mentioned, the story of your own station Art FM started as an internet radio station. And if we dial back to, you know, a little more than 10 years ago, so still well within the, uh, you know, say about uh, 2010 or so, if you wanted to start a new, you know, community radio station, you pretty much had to be online. That was kind of, you know, the, the opportunity to get a new license was was not yet known. Uh, there, the, there wasn't yet planned the opportunity for low power FM to happen again. And getting full power licenses is, is complex and expensive. Um, there were pirates. So, yeah, there were pirates. Exactly. Exactly. There were pirates. But, you know, to, to have a legal station, uh, not to have to kind of look over your shoulder constantly. Um, there, there it, was, it was an online opportunity. And so today... You know, looking back on this experience, Sharon, what why would you advocate for a group, a community group or, or or anyone interested in having a radio station to to make this investment, the additional you know complication and 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 cost to to put a radio station online when you know we're all here in an internet digital world?
3: Well, it's so interesting that you bring this up because to me, I I just love looking back on this whole experience because when we started 10 years ago and we are like, Hey, we're starting a an internet radio station and we had cards with the website and everything. And like, overwhelmingly the response was, why, you know, why are you doing this? No, one's going to listen on the, on the internet. No one listens to music on their computers. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Three out of four times that was the response. They were like, Oh, well, we'll do it, but I doubt anyone's ever going to catch on to this thing. Um, and so it's really interesting to me now that we're trying to encourage people to apply for LPFM licenses for FM licenses. And the response is totally opposite. It's like, well, everybody listens on their computers now. Why even bother to apply for FM? Um, so it's, it's a great question. It's kind of, I think the question. Uh, that that we're looking at right now, especially in terms of LPFM and are you going to apply? And, I, you know, there's a, there's a variety of reasons why being on the FM dial to me is more interesting and effective and powerful um, than just being online. Now, I'm going to say I love being online. It's amazing. It's so cool that we're able to... My dad lives in Mexico and he can tune in whenever he wants. I mean, you know, we have listeners all over the world. So cool. However, I just, you know... I'm a big fan. I, I'm, I'm in love with broadcast radio, having it, you know, go out completely free. I mean, we, you know, obviously there's some expenses on our end to generate it, but the expenses on the listeners end can be practically free because you can find a radio at a thrift store for, you know, a couple bucks. And then the, the expenses, the batteries, you know, if you can't plug it in. Um, But it's totally free and accessible to everyone in our community. And um, that is really beautiful to me. And there's been a few, few moments, um, you know, when that's really hit home to me, um, that people who maybe didn't have the internet can listen to this. Um, so that's a one really amazing thing. And it just weaves this web. I really, I feel like it, you know, it's this invisible web that it weaves within our community that everybody's able to tune in at the same time and listen. And they just keep it on their car radios and it's easy and it's there versus having to go to a website and specifically, you know, you know, go to some site and push play and all that kind of stuff. Now people do that and they've gotten used to doing it and it's great. Um, but the radio is a little more discoverable, you know, people who just are just messing around on their dial might come across you. Whereas if you're on the internet, you know, you're lost in a giant sea. It's really hard for people to just find you um, unless they know about you. So that's another thing. Um and you know of course we have emergency broadcasting services that we provide and we provide some really local news and breaking events um we can provide that on the internet as well but I think it's a little bit different than having our whole community tuned into one station and getting that information directly and immediately whereas internet stations are kind of geared to more you know distant audiences we're really geared to our immediate surroundings um, for instance, when there was you know this horrible shooting in downtown Louisville, we were m- able to get on the air immediately, tell people stay away from this area, you know. And I just think it's a lot more effective. Um, I think a lot more people are listening locally, uh, and 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 also you don't have that mediation between you know anything on the internet. If you're broadcasting on the internet, you've got to go through Spectrum or you know Time Warner or whoever. Your major cable companies are you got to go through Google, you got to go through, you know, so you've got this corporate interference, whereas with FM broadcasting, I mean, we are sending the signal directly to you. Um, and, and there's something to me very beautiful about that radio endures in
1: costs, in- no money nothing to receive the signal it's
3: beautiful
1: you, you're not paying a phone bill you can't be tracked and yeah
3: right and it's
1: and it's, it's uh, free to everybody who has a radio yeah
3: and it can be I'd very like renegade
2: something. yeah, yeah i'd ahead. like to add something Matthew else to that um you probably all read the heartbreaking story of the fire in maui
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh which was a truly uh, awful event. Um, the New York mm-hmm. Times subsequently did a story in which they showed that all the cellular networks all around Maui burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that FM radio uh, offers a redundancy for public safety absolutely. that's absolutely necessary and would have been greatly um, uh, beneficial to those people. Yes. And I think it's a, I think it's a, a really big. Uh, deal at this point that 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 FM not be uh, marginalized and that people see FM as a public safe as a pu- public safety opportunity.
3: Absolutely, thank you for saying that, Matthew. I was actually just going to mention that too because we notice we can have just the slightest windstorm and the internet will go down, but the FM is extremely reliable. We you know we have not had the FM signal, our transmitter going to our antenna, that has not gone down. It's the, it's always these internet things. So I've definitely, you know, we've seen it time and again where radio has come through in times of emergency when all the other resources weren't there. I mean, um LPFM station uh, radio, Katrina uh, during, 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 during the hurricane Katrina, they were the only local station to stay on the air and, yeah. you know, they moved their antenna several times during the midst of the storm to stay there and be able to provide life-saving information for the people. So that is, that's the main thing. That really is. Uh,
2: I have a broader question for you, which is about, which I'm remembering now all of the coverage that we did for radios Survivor when that first low power FM opportunity happened. And one of the things that was interesting to me was is that there were these wonderful little projects that got licenses all around uh, the united states there was one radio station that in in a small town in mississippi that was run by cat cat veterinarians um, and it was called flash cat radio and i just kept on following it to see what the heck what the heck these people were going to do with this there was a radio station which may still be around in flushing meadows um new york which is half run by um the Falun Gong organization and half run by the Diocese of of Flushing Meadows wow. and I sort of check in to see what the heck's going on with that, but there are also a lot of radio stations a lot of organizations that got licenses, but they just couldn't make it work um mm-hmm. There was one really good team outside of a a suburb in Detroit, and they went so far as to produce a really professional fundraising video for themselves. And I watched, you know, I watched as they did a GoFundMe thing and they just, you know, they just couldn't make it, they just couldn't make it to the next level. And my question for you is, you know, you've got your license, mm-hmm. you're getting started. Suddenly you're stalled. The, the support doesn't seem to be there. What do you do then? Any advice for people?
3: I mean, I don't have advice for that because honestly, we've seen such great community support in our area. Um the community here in Louisville didn't have a radio station where people's voices were getting on the airwaves. So it was, they were really hungry for that. There's no college station here. Um, and so, you know, to be honest, and, and I've seen this time and again in different community stations that, um, you know, the community really shows up for these radio stations. They really want them, especially if the station is involving the community on the air, getting them in as DJs. There's so many people that have like these amazing record collections that are just dying for the opportunity to share them with somebody else. Um, so my feeling is, is that if these state, I mean, I'm, 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 I hope this doesn't sound harsh, but I feel like if a station involves itself within the community and it involves the community within itself, it will get the support. It will have the support to keep going because it's not, you know, you got to keep it on a shoestring. You do, you know, you can't live beyond your means, but there are ways to do that in LPFM. And um, if, if you just get that synergy going, you know, and let people know about your station, how they can get involved, I think they, that they will.
4: You know, I, I'll, I'll look to – again, I'm going to take this straight out of your book, but you, you do mention the fact that, you know, a license can be transferred, you know, and perhaps, you know, really out of your advice, you know, that maybe if your organization is not the ones to – to run this station, perhaps, perhaps there's yeah. someone else in your community who is.
3: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, my feeling is, if you're if you're kind of on the border right now, should I apply? Should I not apply? You should apply. It's not hard to apply. If you, I'll, I'll give a few things. You have to have a non you have to be a nonprofit organization or or a government safety organization or a tribe. Um, can't be an individual, and you can't, um, and you can't be a for-profit business. But if you have a nonprofit. Or if you're willing to start one, like right now, you need to do it as soon as we finish here, which you can go to your secretary of state website. Um, They'll usually have an application there. You need usually need three board members, sometimes only one. Make it happen. You can make that happen. You can have a nonprofit in the next three days. Um, You don't need to have that nonprofit be a 501c3. It will help later on if you want to, but to apply, you don't need that.
4: Yeah, that's just uh-huh. just for people who, who may may or may not know. That means that you're registered with the IRS as a nonprofit, and therefore you can right. take tax deductible donations. Correct. but it's not required by the FCC.
3: Right, you just have to be a registered nonprofit in your state, and then there's a few guidelines um, that you ha- You know, you have to know. You can't have gotten in trouble with the FCC before. You can't have been a pirate broadcaster. Not going to name any names, and um, you you know you have to you have to. Jump through a few hoops, which we, we have in the book. And there's also a website that I started because I knew, um, you know, the book was, might be delayed and this LPFM window was coming up. So I wanted people to get the critical information about what they need to apply. So I created a website, it's called LPFM com. So that will give all, you know, the qualifications that you have to have as your nonprofit, but most nonprofits will qualify if you're, as long as you're a nonprofit um, two years if you're two years old or more, that will help you in a cro- crowded dial. Help you get a, a bonus point, but there's ways to partner with an older nonprofit, and they can turn it over to you before you actually go on air because you have three years to go on air, and that will give you time to become two years old. So there's a few complicated things like that that you want to you know look into. But if you want to do this, start a nonprofit right now. Go to your secretary of state website, figure out how, or talk to your attorney, um, and then. And then talk to a group like Common Frequency. Um, that's Todd Yurek, who did a lot of our technical uh, review of this book. But he is really working hard to get community radio stations on the airwaves. And, you know, he really wants to to get as many going as he can. Uh, Michelle Bradley at Rec Networks, of course, is a legend in the LPFM engineering world. But I think she's getting, you know, she's getting um, booked up. So if you want to work with her, I would reach out to her immediately. Um, REC Networks. Um, and then I know Michael Brown, Brown Broadcast Services is another one. So anyway, if you want to do it, you need to get connected and you need to get moving soon. But, um, but you will then have three years to figure out if your organization can do it or wants to do it. And if you don't, to your point, Paul, you can then transfer it to another nonprofit organization who three years from now, everyone's going to be like, oh, I really want to have a a nonprofit radio station, but there's not going to be any opportunity. So they're going to be really glad that you took that opportunity and now want to give it to them.
0: I just want to add that this also includes college radio um, as part of the equation. So if you know, people at college radio stations or who want to start a college radio station, this low power FM opportunity is available to you and to high school and elementary school,
3: middle school. Yeah, that would be awesome.
0: I'm all for more elementary and middle school and high school stations as well.
3: Um, Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So any, you know, any kind of nonprofit, do it, make it happen, you know, figure it out. We'll help you, And, you know, you guys, this is very exciting. I know our time is running out, so I've got to show it to you now. But look what arrived right before our phone call. It's a box. It's a big box. And I was like, what did I order? You know, because I've been a little little busy. I'm trying to, like, remind myself. what I I was like, no, it has to be for Sean or Max or something. And when I had my name on it, and it also (laughs) had the return address was Wiley Press. So, Excite- oh,
0: so we're announcing
3: an unboxing this and- is an yeah, unboxing for,
1: yeah uh, so sharon scott the author of low power fm for dummies is our guest oh today god. on radio survivor and most people are listening to us on the radio but sharon is joining us on a zoom call and here we are watching sharon open the box where uh her brand new book low power fm for dummies uh has arrived this is so home. exciting
3: oh my god i'm gonna cry it's like yeah, it's cool. It's but, like bringing the two worlds together. Go ahead, over,
1: Matthew. Put it to the screen.
2: The screen. Okay. Okay. Want to I, okay.
3: Uh, yeah. Here we go. Okay. So here's the box. Very exciting. Yeah. It lo- looks great. I mean, it's got all these funny little, you know, icons and and goofy little titles. But but wow, there it is. It's all written down. There's a picture of Shonen Knife. That's cool. That one made it. <laughs> Yay! Yay. Oh my gosh. Well, I just want to say thank you to all the contributors. It's looking awesome. I can't wait to know what I'm going to be doing tonight. It's a beautiful day. Go sit outside and read that. See how it all turned out. Because like I said, I wrote it so quickly. I mean, totally. It's like, I don't even know what the heck I said. So um, I was able to read a little bit online. I was like, okay, it sounds all right. I guess I'm tiptoeing into it. Um, But it's really exciting. I can't believe, you know, it was just really a whirlwind. But, right.
1: And for listeners that are just joining us, you know, the reason why Sharon Scott wrote the low power FM for dummies book so quickly is because a brand new opportunity for people. Street.
2: Sorry, sorry. That's <laughs> all right,
1: buddy.
3: So we didn't know, actually, we knew there was kind of this idea that there was going to be an LPFM window at some point when they contracted me to write the book, but we didn't know exactly when it was going to be. And like, I, I'm pretty sure it was like, I was in the right midst of writing like the last chapter when they announced when the window was going to be. Wow. So it was like, oh, sh- <laughs> we need to get this thing done, you know? And so that's when I really like started talking to Wiley about pushing up the publication date and all that kind of stuff. And I'm excited because um, they've continued to be able to push it back more and more and more. And the official um, shelf date is October 12th, um, October 10th. Um, so you should be able to find it in stores and get it from Amazon on October 10th. Um, but this got to me now. So, you know, it's obviously in the world, so it may, it may even arrive a little bit sooner. So, mentioned- what,
1: and can we, can we remind listeners one more time, the, the official window that the FCC is, uh, is accepting applications for low power mm-hmm. FM radio stations. Brand yes. new ones,
3: November 1st through 8th at this time
1: in 2023. It's
3: like, yes. It's like so soon. Um, You know, secretly, you know, I know there's a lot of hardships that come with a government shutdown, but um, (laughs) that could give the potential to to buy us a little bit more time.
1: Right. At the moment that we're recording today, there's about, uh, what, 12 more days before the Republicans that control or don't control Congress uh, are going to shut down the government by default. And then it might be closed for a, a long time. Millions of people we'll find won't have out.
2: social security, but at least you'll be able to get, yes. get well, a, at a low power FM I read, radio station.
1: Better. I read. the first things. The, <laughs> said the social security checks will be going out uh, for at least the month of October. It's okay. uh, but okay. obviously the FCC probably will not be. It really will probably impact. What uh, Paul shaking his head? Do you know for a fact, Paul? Have we been through this before? Has a government shutdown, Paul? You're muted. Uh, has a government shutdown uh, impacted? uh the fcc in the past
4: no but it's threatened to um oh. i mean it, it will it will shut down the fcc it's threatened to shut down um licensing before so yeah we've no, been here it's before definitely it, it,
3: been, it did delay it delayed the window 10 years ago i know because you, yeah because you get a two-year bonus you know if you're a group for two years you get a bonus point and we were just like right on the border with rfm mm. And yeah, that put that delay ended up making it that we got that point. So it's
1: been a long time since we broke any news on Radio Survivor. Yeah! But I, can, I can imagine that someone at one of the bureaucrats who knows their business at the FCC is even now drafting <laughs> the uh, plan for what to do with this window when the government no doubt will shut down. Uh, I was just reading articles last night that oh. uh, <laughs> there's no hope.
3: <laughs> oh, really? Well, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm just thumbing through this book right now. And I just want to shout out to all Jennifer, your photographs look great. All the contributors who gave photographs and stuff that that turns out so cool. I hope, you know, next time we want to include more, but those look great. And yeah, the directory is really fun to have. That's great.
1: And of course, Jennifer's Jennifer's photographs are included in this low power FM for dummies book because Jennifer Waits uh, has spent her career touring Low Power FM radio stations, especially college, college radio stations, which mm-hmm. college radio stations have made a huge contribution to the Low Power FM, uh, you know, community yes. diaspora, as we oh called it gosh. earlier today. Well,
0: and even just being, you know, as we've talked about, you know, we were reco- we were covering the Low Power FM, the most recent Low Power FM opportunity on Radio Survivor. And and so I got to be at a bunch of radio stations as they launched or right before they were launching, like including... FM, yeah. So it was kind of amazing to be, I don't know, like, like Paul was mentioning, there was a long period of time where new community radio stations, new college radio stations, it was very rare, they would be launching over FM. So to be able to witness that and take yeah. photos and interview people, you know, that's been really exciting for me. So I'm, yeah. I'm very intrigued about this next opportunity to see, yeah. you know, who ends up applying, who ends up getting these licenses,
1: And we should mention right before the end of the radio program that uh, on a very recent episode of our podcast, Radio Survivor, Paul uh, especially did the hard work of of giving a very comprehensive uh, picture of where, geographically speaking, these new low power FM radio stations might be able to locate because it is a matter of uh, limited bandwidth, literally on the radio dial of where a new low power FM radio station can go up on the air. It's going to it's it's much more likely in a less crowded radio market our landscape and so smaller places or the outskirts of bigger places uh, are more likely to have room on the airwaves and that's complicated and exciting and something that you, you should look into right away if you're if that's uh, if you've just found out from our show today on Radio Survivor that you're excited about low power fm radio and and want to take this opportunity that the FCC has opened that as far as we know is going to be in early November <laughs> of 2023, but the government shutdown of 2023 could impact uh, this, this window.
4: But get moving now. Yeah. And, and there's, and quickly, there's another opportunity for folks to kind of level up if they're interested, correct that We have a grassroots radio conference mm, yes. also coming up in October. Uh, Sharon, do you, do you know yes.
3: more about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um you know, been trying to help them get things happening. I mean, WTSQ in Charleston, West Virginia, they're a low power FM. They're going to be hosting it this year and they're just diving right in. And it's the first live grassroots radio conference since 2019. And they're doing a great job. They've got amazing speakers. Amy Goodman is the keynote. Pete Tridish will be there. Um, Many of these engineers I mentioned earlier. And we're going to be doing an LPFM intensive Session for people who are interested in starting LPFM. So um, Grassroots Radio Conference 2023. Just Google that and and go ahead and get your tickets. There's half price scholarships going on right now. Uh, thanks to Amy Goodman. So yeah, please, that would be a great place.
1: Wow. And is there to- any opportunity? Uh, perhaps for, for, for online attendance or is that a in-person only event?
3: Yeah, that, it's in-person, but they're going to try to be recording some of the sessions and post it on yeah. the virtual GRC YouTube channel uh, after the fact. But really just being there and meeting people and getting that one-on-one advice would be really great. And then plus we're going to do a launch, a book launch for LPFM for Dummies. So we're going to have a fun party and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it'd be great to see everybody there. But yeah, I just really want to encourage everyone do it it is so much fun to build your own radio station yes it's a lot of work and you got to do a lot of community outreach to get that right. you know synergy but it's a tons of fun and it's a great way to connect with your community and it's so valuable for your community to have those local voices and that you know first responding emergency fm radio to be there for them so yeah. Thank you all for the opportunity to let me, you know, tell the world about it.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're very excited to have you on, Sharon Scott. And of course, Radio Survivor is a podcast as well as a radio show. And I, I imagine we're gonna continue the conversation and stretch our legs a little bit and enjoy ourselves and talk more about not only this book and this opportunity for new radio stations, but the low power FM uh multiverse, as well as the fact that the Radio Survivor crew here Matthew Lazar, Paul Rees Mandel, Jennifer Waits, and myself, Eric Klein have not been together as often in 2023 as we used to be in so it's very exciting so the podcast radio Survivor will continue but here on the radio airwaves where you're probably listening to our voice possibly on your local low-power FM radio station in your community we're about to we're about to wrap up the show I think I want to use the last minute Sharon just to Echo this idea that you know I'm vaguely familiar with the low-power FM radio station in my community in Portland Oregon that that failed to launch that didn't take that next step uh they got on the air but then they didn't have much to put on the air and it was my impression from people i spoke with that like they got the technical stuff in line and in order but they skipped that uh community buy-in part they didn't have four dozen extremely motivated people ready to make radio to back them up and to create the content but also to do some of the the lifting. You need more than one person passionate about radio to put radio on the air. And that's what's so exciting about it. It's not, it's not a solo activity.
3: Yeah. Community radio, got to get everyone involved or else it won't work, but people will come out and they'll support it. They love it.
1: That's a really good point. Like not only do you have a community that you might already be aware of, but when you open the doors to new mm. people to yeah. show up, I mean, that's truly the beauty and the superpower of this project, because yes. there are so many activities in the United States of America that are closed, where gatekeepers keep the gates, right. where you have to get paid to do it. And if you don't get paid, you're not going to get an entry level position. And community radio is different than that. It's yeah. it's a place where young people, new people, inexperienced people, elders... All the all the community can show up and start to contribute. And that's what's so exciting about really beautiful. Low Power yeah. FM Radio. Sharon Scott, thank you really so much is. for joining us on thank this you. radio program. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for yeah. having me. Let's podcast, though. All right. Yeah.
0: Sharon, I'm curious. Um, what surprised you as you were putting together the book? Like, was there anything that, that you – I'm sure there's a ton that you learned putting the book together. But was there anything – especially surprising or
3: um you know know. i i didn't have a totally thorough understanding of the history of the lpfm movement before i started i had little tidbits you know i knew prometheus was really there um you know free radio berkeley was critical and i knew some of these stories but
1: right and free radio um, berkeley is a pirate radio station that's uh on in the late '90s and really is sort of the the embers, the sparks that began the low power FM radio movement, the legitimiz yeah. the legitimization of small radio on in a in a dense urban environment.
3: Yeah, community so it was, radio for people. Yeah, it was fascinating to me to really delve into that history. And I mean, of course, I wrote this long; it was a whole chapter about the history of LPFM, and then I turned it in, and they were like. Well, we really need the first chapter to be something completely different, like an overview of the, everything in the book. So somehow I wasn't communicated that before I wrote the chapter. So I have this like wonderful chapter about the history of LPFM, but it's actually not in the book. So,
1: oh, well, tell us so, about yeah. that. Tell us about that chapter in detail. Okay. <laughs> this, um, is, this is our opportunity to.
3: Yeah. Let's see. from um, your work. I know. I'm like, I'm going to have to go back and, and look in my book here. Um but so basically what happened was, you know, it's, I mean, what's interesting, just like, it's like, where do you even start? Um, when, when there's, you know, there's some controversy about who invented radio. I'm, I'm in favor of <laughs> Tesla being the inventor of radio. Um, that could be, you know, I'm sure you all have even done a podcast on that. Um,
1: nope.
3: <laughs> well, you should, that'd be fun. I'd love to hear that one. Um, you know, maybe I'll join in. It's just an interesting debate, but, um, you know, Tesla was demonstrating radio. And at that time, uh, other scientists just kind of got involved with it and hobbyists and they're like, Oh, that's interesting. You know? And so they started doing their own experiments at home in their attic or whatever, the Boy Scouts, different school trade schools. Um, and so it was just sort of this free form, like everybody was getting on the radio and, and, um, broadcasting. And then they started, oh, there you go, Marconi. See, that's the that's the other side of the story. Was it Tesla or was it Marconi? So Marconi got the uh, Nobel Prize for it, inventing radio. So that's something. Um, So it was just kind of like this free, you know, in the early days of radio, it was just this free-form Wild West, you know, people broadcasting and putting their their noises out there. And then they started, I mean, I wasn't there, but my understanding was that you know, they started realizing they're interfering with one another and then sort of in different areas, they would communicate and sort of set up schedules like who would be on air at what time. So it was kind of the self-regulated type of situation, which sounds really interesting to me. Um, and I think that American, uh, what the AARL is actually, you know, started at that time to ha- just kind of help the amateur. The
4: American Antenna Relay League, which mm-hmm. is... Uh- <laughs> right which right, is the for... uh, amateur radio association yeah in yeah the United states
3: so they um they kind of got their start there anyway just very interesting you know wild west of radio it's fascinating to me and then the regulation you know started happening more and more and of course favoring the people with the deeper pockets and the the better lawyers and eventually this sort of experimental educational type of radio gets pushed you know to the lower end of the dial and in the the areas that don't have this great of coverage. And so, you know, commercial radio basically just takes over the United States. And that's been the history for a long time now. Um, But really, interestingly enough, there, you know, people started saying, well, hey, this could be infringing on our First Amendment rights. Um, And maybe we do have the right to actually be, you know, to control, who is the government to say who gets these airwaves and who has the right to amplify their voices. And so people sort of started rebelling in, in that way um, and broadcasting and getting on there and, and pirate broadcasting. And then that's kind of been a thing that's been happening for a while. Um, and then in, it was, I believe he was in Illinois, Mombano to... Thank
4: Kintaka. you.
3: Thank you. Yes. Tell me about yes. What do you know about him? Because he's a very fascinating character um, that you don't so, hear uh, too much about.
4: Ambana Cantaco is living in the John J. John Hay Homes, I believe is the name of it. It's a public housing uh, complex in Springfield, Illinois, the capital of Illinois. Um, and he was looking to organize the tenants there who uh he believed in many of his fellow tenants believed they were being mistreated by the administration uh running uh, the complex um you know from you know typical tenants issues and he first decided that they should start up a a, like a, a newspaper, a newsletter, but he found that he couldn't really distribute it very well. Um, they, they would disappear if put out, right? You know, it, all sorts of things like that. So he happened upon the idea of starting a radio station. It just so happens that um, Amman is also blind, um, and so uh, radio being uh, uh, perhaps a, a, a better medium for for himself and many of the other people there. Mm-hmm. And he he basically started a small pirate radio station. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally called, I think, WTRA, the Tenants' Rights Association, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then uh, eventually became Human Rights Radio. Right as yeah. he Very sort good. of expanded yes. expanded the mission of you know not just advocating for the tenants' rights there, um, where which uh, the administration of the of the uh, housing complex did not appreciate having a radio station there. Um, he ran into, and in fact, had been. Uh, rated by the FCC multiple times.
1: Are we talking about the 1990s I'm assuming?
4: We're talking about the 19 I think what is the uh, so I actually have a poster of him which you can't see here. <laughs> oh, cool. 1987. Ah. Oh, cool. Uh it was uh it is a 25th anniversary poster so beginning in 1987 is when he started his uh, tenant rights association. Um and then, you know, became uh, human rights uh, radio. Uh, yeah. We I have a talk online from Umbana telling this history mm-hmm. that we can place into the show notes if cool. you remind me. Oh, that'd be amazing. Jennifer. Uh, and I knew this because I was living in central Illinois at the time, uh, oh, cool. in, in Champaign, Urbana, hey, Illinois. Paul, since you uh, have the poster about there now,
1: since you have the poster there, I'm not putting you on the spot. Can you spell his name?
4: M B A N N A Umbana. Uh, Kantako, K A N T A K O. Very cool. And I know that um, Ambana was in communication with and was assisted by the folks at Free uh, Radio Berkeley. Oh, I didn't know. And in many ways, I think there was some folks viewed this as a a great sort of exemplar case for the Mm, application of of low power radio, uh, in organizing, uh, communities. And, mm-hmm. and as a true community radio, uh, application, mm-hmm. th- there was no community radio station in Springfield, Illinois mm-hmm. in, in the 1980s. Um, there were very few community radio stations in the entire state of Illinois, uh, to begin with, I believe there were two, um, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, th- there wasn't an otherwise an opportunity uh, for for new voices to, to get on the air in, in mm-hmm. Springfield, Illinois. So, yeah, that is really kind of uh, an early case. And and I think then, right, carries on through the 90s, uh, the many different uh, sort of pirate, unlicensed stations went on the air throughout the United States. You know, mm-hmm. we had Free Radio Berkeley, which you mentioned. I can think of there was uh, Free Radio Brattleboro and Brattleboro, Vermont. There was – san francisco liberation radio you still i don't know if santa cruz uh, freak radio santa cruz is still on the air mm-hmm. um matthew you might know having been in uh, I, um, there more last recently time beyond. i checked
2: i checked in with them they were raided by the fcc oh. uh, all their equipment was taken the next mm-hmm. day, they got new equipment and they started to rebroadcast. Yeah, it's it's
4: <laughs> it's it's really if you have the will, um, yeah, in, in so many ways. But yeah, I think you know the received history you're sort of giving us, um, Sharon, is that uh, all of this pirate radioactivity, unlicensed radioactivity in the nineties put a lot of mm-hmm. pressure on the FCC. Yes. At the same time, then you know you you, you can continue on that there were folks agitating to uh, to urge the FCC to, to create a legitimate outlet for, for low power. Right.
3: Right. So when, when Contaco got raided by the FCC, he refused to pay the fine and that was him refusing to pay the fine. In my opinion was kind of the first step towards the LPFM thing happening. It was like the, the crack that started everything. Um, And he claimed because he was blind in particular, that this was his only way to express his First Amendment rights of freedom of speech because he couldn't, you know, publish what he was doing in the newspaper that sort of thing it had to be an audio source and so he claimed and he refused to go to court or anything but it's interesting you can actually find um the rate when the fcc raids his broadcast you can find that recording online too it's fascinating and his wife apparently was very involved and and you hear his daughters It was a very family radio station um and a very small wattage i mean i it was just like you know i think it was only like a couple watts honestly right which is um, exciting
1: because it's for the residents of a building.
3: Right, right. And when oh, no, when Steven Dunifer, you know, who I guess was involved with this as well, when he saw um, human rights radio refusing to pay that fine when he got, he kind of went full on, was broadcasting a lot and decided when he got busted, he wasn't going to pay the fine either. And he was going to bring the free, uh, right. freedom of speech issue to the courts, which he did. Does the FCC have the right to regulate these airwaves and say who gets these airwaves, keeping it out of the hands of the people in the commercial broadcasters hands? And these are all the issues that Stephen Dunifer brought up thinking you know probably this case is going to get thrown out right away and he's going to be back to having to pay this fine everyone was quite surprised when the judge said hmm i don't know this is interesting <laughs>
1: so, speech, why not yeah the, uh, the, uh, the ninth circuit yeah. court of yeah. appeals right very matthew's good got, you have your matthew's I, got something
2: you know the, <laughs> the, the genius of that moment was was when judge claudia wilkins uh uh, uh, stayed, stayed the FCC's decision was that it dragged on and on and on and on, I think, for years. And yeah, I
3: think four the, years, the, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, four, four years. years.
2: And I think that a lot of people in the FCC were thinking, okay, at this point, and in Congress as well, uh, we've got to come up with some kind of an alternative to this. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll have a situation in which we are unable to govern the airwaves,
1: right? Right? Yeah, meanwhile, a- meanwhile, the pirates broadcasters are demonstrating the practical use and uh, technical uh,
3: yes. yeah. feasibility.
1: Yeah. Like they're on the air and they're not necessarily, it's not the worst case scenario that a corporate lobbyist might might demonstrate. Uh, You know, it, it wasn't coming true. They're on the air and everything's fine.
3: Right. They really encouraged people during those those years when the judge was trying to decide what to do with that. Uh, Stephen Dunnifer and... Petri dish of the Prometheus Radio Project went around the country, encouraging and helping people start. Uh, from my understanding, I'm not. I'm not going. not going to. Well, I shouldn't say. But they were just letting people know that there was this lap. Let's put it this way: they were letting people know that there was this lapse in a, of enforcement, oh, and a
4: lot of uh, radio pirate radio stations took to the airwaves during that time. Did you um? do you know the book? I'm I'm certain it's out of print at this point called Seize the Airwaves.
3: Yes, that's a great book. I do have it here on my bookshelf.
4: And yeah, that was Stephen a great Bittifer and uh, Ron Sikalski. Uh, mm-hmm. Ron uh, was a uh, professor at University of Illinois Springfield, formerly mm-hmm. known as Sangamon State uh, University or Sangamon State College. Um, and he um, and a uh, fellow professor, uh, the late uh, Mike Townsend, at, uh, at Sangamon state uh, were often um, collaborated with uh, mm-hmm. Monica katako yeah. in it's field.
3: Oh, that's yeah. yeah. That's cool. So, and then, you know, um, once, once the enforcement restarted again, um, of course, radio mutiny in Philadelphia, they, among others, but they, they became known because they refused to stop pirate broadcasting and they, got a visit from the FCC. and then they turned that visit from the FCC into a big media moment um, and they they proceeded to do a variety of performance art acts. Um, one of them um, at the um, there's a statue to Benjamin Franklin and the printing press in Philadelphia and they went there and did a big demonstration about freedom of press and how you know, people need the right to the airwaves and and basically, you know said, you need to give us the government needs to give us a spot to broadcast or else we're just going to take it. And, and basically said, we will go across the country and we will start pirate radio stations and you won't be able to stop us all unless you give us a legitimate way to get on the airwaves. And through a long, arduous process, finally, um, people were given the right to get on the airwaves with these LPFM licenses. And Prometheus at that time said, "Okay, cool, you did what we asked and we're going to retool. And they kind of turned around their whole operation. And instead of encouraging people to pirate broadcast, now the organization became legit and started encouraging people to get their LPFM licenses and get on the airwaves. And they're still doing that to this day. So it's um, it's um pretty cool. But it did take a lot. I mean, I skipped over a lot of the history about how they tried to get it passed through Congress and um, NPR and the National Association of uh, Broadcasters fought against it and made up all kinds of stuff that the FCC themselves said, you know, this is BS. So um, it's a very interesting, long history. And hopefully I'll be able to get that chapter into the next book. Because <laughs> <laughs> this book, the LPFM for Dummies, they wanted it just to be you know, right. How do, you do And that? you do
4: have a little bit of that history in there, but probably yeah. not as extensive as, as you would like. And, and right. part of that history um, is that there was low power FM mm-hmm. before low power FM. Right. From 1940 uh, right. something, the uh, creation of, of, of FM radio until 1978, there were 10 watt mm-hmm. radio stations nice. that could be owned by cool. colleges and schools. And yeah. um, in 1978, the FCC was convinced to end them. Um, mm. At the behest of basically the public radio establishment. Mm. Um, well, there's
2: still Part 15 radio stations, right? Exactly right. And I, I, I still plot. Fun. I still, I, I'm still plotting to start a Part 15 radio station in my neighborhood in bernal Heights, San yeah. Francisco. Do it. I'm in, I'm in Rome, Italy, right now, and um, it's cool. getting a little late, and we're going to um, have to move to Venice tomorrow. So I want to just, I'm going to check out now, but I just (laughs) want to congratulate you on your wonderful book. um, Thank you, Matthew. uh, And I I can't wait to read it.
3: All right. I
2: can't can't wait to edit this video.
3: Okay, that's going to be great. Well, good luck with that. And it's really great to see you. I hope you have a wonderful time overseas.
1: Bye, Matthew. Have a nice trip.
3: Thanks, Matthew. See you guys later.
4: Bye-bye. Thank you, Matthew. And I'm going to jump in because Paul Paul
0: was talking about Class D radio. Mm -hmm. We were talking about those – 10 watt licenses. And that there are probably still a few left, right, Paul, that Mm -hmm. might still be on the airwaves, hanging in there, even though- Yeah,
4: basically because they are uh, in places where both, one, the institution decided to keep the license, and two, um, no one can build a higher power station on their frequency. If if that were the case, they would have to abdicate. And many 10 watt licenses uh, were upgraded uh, in, in, you know, in the '80s, to uh, full power licenses, if, if possible, but some were turned in or have have gone away. And but they, one, I mean, one currently existing one is um X Ray, FM in Portland, Oregon, which oh. operates the 10 watt uh, Class D uh, license, formerly owned by Reed College in Portland. Mm. That is actually their flagship signal is 10 watts, um, but mm. they've also obtained a um, a translator station which is 200 watts and gives them much cool. more something in that neighborhood, which gives them yeah. much more coverage on, on the FM airwaves. So that's one of the sort of huh, existing legacy class yeah. D stations. And out we're,
1: there. we're on, we're on the air on X-ray.
4: Oh, cool. Sweet. Shout Wednesdays out
1: to at 1 PM. That's a and cool that was, station.
0: And that yeah. was a license that Reed actually had turned back to the FCC and, um, Somebody yeah. who I don't know if I can say this publicly, well, but somebody we mentioned on the episode yes. encouraged Reed to not to not not turn the license back in because it could be possibly used for another purpose. Right. So I think that's version. another like heroic thing is yeah. sort of paying attention when when people are turning back licenses and maybe suggesting you know you might not want to turn back this license. <laughs> and that
3: same person who I think we're talking about um, also got us a lot of the information that x-ray was using because they were they got started a couple of years before wxox and so that person got me some of the information that they were using you know to do fundraising and stuff like that just some stuff to help us get going as well so it's just more of that community sharing you know type of thing and it's um so yeah so a lot of information in my book maybe i don't even know where it came from because there is just such this community thing happening and and spoken you know just passed on these skills and these ideas traded at the grassroots radio conference or through you know phone calls or whatever none of it being written down it's like well who even came up with this system of you know like the colors for instance Jennifer I know you the the charts of different radio stations that have like the you know the the Electrical taped on the binders of the records to tell you what genre it is or something right. like that, you know like there's all these interesting things, Jennifer, you could tell us about more of them that happen at radio stations across the country, and like nobody even really knows where it started, but it's just kind of this thing that's happening and and I think that's really cool, and a lot of the information in this book is sort of that communal knowledge, you know
0: yeah, you're talking about um on radio survivor i've I think at one point I was doing a countdown of things seen at radio stations. Oh, yeah. And so I had okay. genre charts and it basically will be a sign on a wall, at a radio station that has color coding for different genres in the record mm. library. And so if you yeah. look through record libraries at various stations, you might see different colors of electrical tape or different sticker oh,
3: dots. Sign of the album or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. there's things like, yeah, like what, like the, The um, file cabinet with stickers all over it from different radio stations that every radio station seems to have. Right.
0: Yes. little scavenger hunt, you know, stinky couches. (laughs) Yeah. The couch that no
3: one wants to sit on. You got to have it.
0: (laughs) The Leo Blaze sign. He was a musician who um, (sighs) crafted these signs of call letters that he sent to various radio stations as a promotional item. And he Mm -hmm. also sent them to NPR and Bob Boylan um, yeah, I think I've
1: there's one thought. on there's one on Tiny Desk, right? So that's yeah. the most yeah. several, Leo Blaze. Yeah, several
0: at Tiny Desk. And he's retire- Bob Boylan is retiring. So uh-huh. I actually commented on Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I'm wondering what's going to happen with your Leo Blaze signs. I wonder if he'll come nah. home with him or, you know. I know those are so him. cool. Gosh. I'm probably the only person who... Who has like a vested interest in the Leo blaze signs? You know you're not Jennifer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just well, you're, the, Sharon, yeah, you're yeah. the you're the, world expert Leo, the world's expert on Leo, the world's expert on Leo blaze signs. she sure
3: you know, is. she's she one. cracked the code. She's like, where do these things come from? Right I think here so, as here.
0: somebody told me, and the answer was like there all along because he signed them. <laughs> <Just> oh. <laughs> so funny. oh really?
3: That's
0: yeah, he's, he signed all of them, so the answer was oh, always a, there if you actually turn the sign around and looked um
3: yeah well, that's that's when i'll know we've made it uh, when we when we get a wxox uh call letters and by leo blaze do is ask
1: i know because right? i don't think he's
3: just doing them randomly anymore
0: I I, yeah i don't think he's making them anymore as far as i know um, maybe
3: i'll
0: have to get yeah. back to him i do have a lost leo blaze part two of my interview that i never published <laughs> so maybe that means now is the time
3: yeah so interesting
0: <laughs> well sharon have we come to the end of our time this was really exciting i yeah it's so fun i so appreciate well, you writing this book and talking yeah. to us i feel like it's exciting that we kind of have the exclusive here. Um, yeah.
3: Iranian I love Survivor. it. We didn't even mean for this to happen because the book isn't supposed to come out for another couple weeks. Um, so the fact that the digital landed yesterday, right, you know, for give you all a little preview, and then I got this in my hands. I mean, literally, right right before this podcast started, I saw the truck pull off. And yeah, congratulations. It. It's well, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is really it's really something to hold it in your hands after you've been, you know, just working in this weird computer world for so long. So And it, and it's it was very exciting.
1: really great to have you on, to have Radio yeah. Survivor back on the air, you know, like it's the third episode of 2023 awesome. and to talk about Low Power FM and to celebrate your book and to yeah. get a little bit more detail on, yeah. you know, because we've, I think Radio Survivor and the Radio Survivor podcast may officially be like the the podcast of record of low power FM at the moment. And so it's good. I mean, it's a
3: fascinating topic, but not a lot of people are covering it. So thank you all for being there. Please consider
1: taking over and being the podcast of record for low power FM. And (laughs) let us know how that
3: goes. (laughs) I don't think I can do that. I got got this. So the book, you know, is out and I just want to remind your listeners about the, um, the LPFM resources website too. So that's totally free and that'll give you a taste. If you're borderline, I don't know what it's going to involve and that kind of thing. That'll give you a taste on
1: what you need to do to get started. But again, people three
3: years, you know, to get it, make it happen. So
1: do we have any way to know what's bubbling up in the world? How many we don't really we can't really know what this Um, next window will bring. Who's excited and who doesn't know?
3: Yeah, we'll just just,
1: we'll find out. How will we find out historians? When will we know the answer? To how many low-power FM radio stations.
0: When did we start finding out during the last window? Because we were monitoring the applications. Like, Mm -hmm. we were able to see applications as they came in. But I forget how soon after the window that was. Yeah, it's after. They
3: don't don't show you during the window. It's definitely after it closes. Oh, yeah. It's definitely
4: after it closes because there's not a definitive list of frequencies. Yeah per se, right? You have to propose for frequency Um, and therefore, and then not every frequency is uh, necessarily has a winning um, application, right? Right. Because there, you know, it may be a singleton meaning one, only one application, but if they're not a qualified applicant um, for, for some one reason or another, right. And there were controversies around uh, some folks who were uh, improperly behind multiple applications because you're only allowed to apply for oh, one. Right. You can submit multiple applications. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of technicalities uh, that go on. And yeah. we were well into 2014 when the, fr- I mean, the first, uh, it, my if my recollection is correct, the first construction permits in that 2013 window were issued much more quickly mm-hmm. than they were in that 2000 window, the very first mm-hmm. one. That's mm-hmm. probably likely due to the fact that a lot of folks, there was, the folks, let's say Prometheus and Common Frequency and REC Networks all knew what they were doing much more so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably, and also the FCC knew more what it was doing okay. um, at the time as well. But, you know, as it stands, I don't know when, when did you get your, do you remember when you got your construction? Yeah,
3: well, yeah it took us almost a year to get, because we had five competitors for our frequency. Oh, you had an MX. Okay. Yes. And so it took a little while to work all that out. Um, and yeah, because I remember <clears throat> I was on my way, we were live broadcasting um, a blues festival and I was on my way. Sean was actually there setting up and I found out on my way down that we had got our license. So I can just remember it was like, just such an amazing moment walking up to, you know, the booth where he was remote broadcasting to tell him that we had got our license. It was just like, oh my God, we're going to have an FM signal. That was just, I mean, you know, you just, it's kind of unheard of, you know, when I got out of college and was done with college radio, I was like, well, there it goes. I'll never have opportunity to work in radio again, or at least do the interesting things I'd want to do in radio again. And so when this opportunity came up and the fact that people do have a chance uh, to get an FM signal, that is just totally remarkable. It's, it's a bit of a miracle. So I really hope people will, will take advantage of it and everyone else will get to have that amazing feeling too. Like, oh my gosh, I have we have a radio station, you know? And then you can figure out what the heck you're going to do with it.
4: <laughs> yeah, I just... it seems, yeah, I'm just looking back to 2014 on our own website, which is wonderful Oh, that's resource. what I was doing too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, and I see that, you know, by the end of the year, you know, hundreds of um, construction permits had been approved. So, so within about, you know, 11, uh, about 13 months after the, uh, the 2013 window.
0: And well, and, um, a few weeks after that window closed, we were able to look in the database and see the applicants.
3: Yeah. That's when it's really interesting when you can find out who yeah. your competition is and that kind of thing. So, um, and then you have to start dig it around and say, okay, is there something wrong? We had one of the Caesar Ghoul applications um, who he applied for hundreds of stations across the country. Can't do that. So we knew his was going to get eliminated. Um, another, another group didn't in- include an engineering study, which was required and they got eliminated. Another group was pirate broadcasting. The FCC learned about that. They got eliminated. Mm-hmm. And another group was a friend of ours, Squall's puppeteer's, And they just decided they'd rather just have a radio show than run a whole radio station. So uh, they willingly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. who's the smart one in this equation. So anyway, so they did their, um, they had a a puppetry radio show on our station for a number of years, got a best radio show in Louisville award from the local creative magazine. And and it was a great show. They're not doing it now, but, um, but I think I did it for about eight years. It was a great show. So that worked out because it was like, you know they were able to 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 get on the air but they didn't have to do all the work of it
1: um, yeah the 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 q center here in portland uh was doing a timeshare with another low power fm group that was more into um music discovery and being like a really interesting uh you know sort of professional radio service and there was not they never got one they didn't make radio the the Q Center community, so they had they handed it over. Yeah, my
4: understanding is that um the person who had spearheaded the LPFM effort uh stopped being involved essentially, yeah. and so um you know often it is the case that there's like one uh person who spearheads the effort and an organization, and then if they're you know but perhaps the rest of the organization sort of is maybe less invested than that one person. Yeah, but I still,
1: I know nothing about the group and have never been inside their building, but I still think what if, Uh, because I do imagine that there was a potential to get three dozen passionate community members in the queer community of North Portland to, to be excited about that radio station. I do, I just imagine they didn't do that. That wasn't that wasn't part of getting on the air, uh, but who knows? I wasn't in the room; I just was nearby the room, so I should not speculate too wildly. But at
4: least the freak—I mean, here's the other part of this—is at least the frequency continues to be a community radio exactly. station. Yeah, it
1: was, a, it was an exciting uh, outcome of of a sad half a story,
4: and that's the other reason to apply is that to reserve that space on the dial for a potential community radio station instead of what it is likely to become. Otherwise is a repeater for another commercial radio station or a commercial AM radio station. Um, yeah. Rather than, rather than being originating original content um, it will just be repeating somebody else's signal. And there's, there's a purpose for that on the airwaves of course, I don't want to simply uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater on that, but Um, You know, reserving those spaces for uh, for true local original community radio, I think, is is a valuable thing.
3: Yeah, there's just so little opportunity for community members to get on the airwaves, talk about what's interesting to them, bring the music to the airwaves that they want to share with others. There's just, I mean, it's just like you know, we were talking about gatekeeping earlier, but the radio FM dial really, you know, has a strong system of keeping people out. So we really need more community radio stations that bring people in. So, and and I think it's really important to what you mentioned, Paul, is that if we don't go for these LPFM stations now, they're probably going to end up in the hands of some commercial conglomerate and they're just going to be rebroadcasting something from somewhere else. It's not going to be that real locally generated content, which is so important. So if you're thinking about it and you're like, I don't know, I think I can do some programming. It might not be that great. My feeling is it's going to be 100% better than whatever kind of commercial garbage will be on that frequency if you don't go for it. So, you know, go for it. And, And we're talking about the timeline here again. It's like, once you get your construction permit, you have three years, but we were just talking about, you know, a lot of times it takes a full year to even get your construction permit. So you could actually be looking at four years to get the money, the DJs, the equipment, everything you need to to get on the airwaves. And, and as I talk about in my book, I really talk about how to keep this shoestring. I mean, you can do it with folding plastic tables, you know, as your furniture, that's how we started, you know, just, just take it one step at a time. And, and it's really, it really is quite doable. And then you'll find that the power and the enthusiasm you give to your community is just so inspiring. We've seen, um, you know, people from all of our community come together, young people, old people, people from all different backgrounds that speak different languages. And they come together at the station, not only meet each other and communicate, but then they form, form new projects. You know, they form bands or they have an art show or they do a poetry reading. And there's all this like amazing creative energy. And I know you all see that at the community stations that you volunteer for as well. You know, and it's just It's just amazing what happens when you create a space for people to come together, you tell them that their voice is important and you give them the freedom to express themselves. And it's just a beautiful thing. And that's really is what LPFM radio is all about.
0: That's a great place to stop Sharon Scott. Thank you so much. You're so inspiring and I can't wait to more thoroughly read the book. I did the grad school read as well. Uh, Low Power <laughs> FM for dummies. Um, awesome. Such a pleasure to have you on Radio thank Survivor. You.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I know we could all sit around and talk radio forever. So hopefully we'll all be, hopefully we'll be in the same room again sometime and and man, just hash all this stuff out. But it's a lot of fun. I've loved the podcast and thank you for what you all are doing um, all the time at Radio Survivor for the world of radio. So um, let's go. Let's go get those LPFM stations. I can't wait to get some more community voices on the airways.